brute force. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Softrep.com, on time, on target. It is a beautiful, it feels like summer day here in New York. I'm loving it. I was out here on the balcony of the new place, chilling. It does. Soaking up the sun. Yesterday, I got rained on, so uh, it's nice. Yeah, yesterday, um, how well, it wasn't that bad. I don't know. It's all right. I mean, it was raining in Brooklyn, or? Yeah. Okay. Or I wasn't sure if you were making a reference to us. You were talking before Tommy Laren getting a drink thrown at her. <laughs> Which She's she, rising from the ashes. Yeah. She's rising from uh, the ashes. Man. I, my, I mean, I don't think it was appropriate, but at the same time, it's kind of crazy that Donald Trump is commenting on this. Because he watches Fox and Friends in the, every morning, so he has nothing else to do. It, it really is weird that that's where he gets his news. Like, you're the most... I don't, you have the highest position in all of the world, and you're watching these three guys on TV, or two guys and a woman. I mean, this is what happens when a man-child is your president. <laughs> I mean, what, what can you say? Well, on the topic of President Trump, June 12th, the meeting between Kim Jong-un and President Trump is now not happening. Uh, a letter was posted on... Uh, well, it's posted, I think, all over, but I'm... Well, it's like the White House. It was a White House press release. I mean, they published the letter. Yeah. So I'll read it. This is from President Trump. Um, all right. May 24th, 2018. His Excellency Kim Jong-un... Oh, hold on, hold on. you got to read it in a Donald Trump voice. I, I can't really do a good Donald Trump. If you, if you want to read it... Dear Mr. Chairman, we greatly appreciate your time... like Donald Trump. <laughs> patience and effort... With respect to our recent negotiation, this sounds more like a discussion. flamboyant gay man than Donald Trump. I maybe he sounds flamboyantly <laughs> gay to me. I don't know. Do you want to read the whole thing? I, well, like, we yeah. don't need to read the whole letter. People can. can I mean, it's a short. It's a short letter. I'll, I'll read it. Um, dear Mr. Chairman, we greatly appreciate your time, patience, and effort with respect to our recent negotiate negotiations and discussions relative to a summit long uh, sought by both parties which was scheduled to take place on June 12th in Singapore. We were informed that the meeting was requested by North Korea, but that to us is totally irrelevant. I was very much looking forward to being there with you. Sadly, based on the tremendous anger and open hostility displayed in your most recent statement, I feel it is inappropriate at this time to have this long-planned meeting. Therefore, please let this letter serve to represent that the Singapore summit, for the good of both parties, but to the detriment of the world, will not take place. This is probably my favorite part of the letter. You talk about your nuclear capabilities, but ours are so massive and powerful that I pray to God they will never be, never have to be used. 
I felt a wonderful. Day. You could tell that's the one that he was like, please put that in the letter. Yeah, that was the one. That was the one he actually wrote. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I felt the wonderful dialogue was building up between you and me, and ultimately, it is only the dialogue that matters. Someday, I look very much forward to meeting you. In the meantime, I want to thank you for the release of the hostage, hostages who are now home with their families. Well, we did get that out of it. That's true. Uh, that was a beautiful gesture and was very much appreciated. If you change your mind having to do with this most important summit, please do not hesitate to call me or write. The world and North Korea in particular has lost a great opportunity for lasting peace and great prosperity and wealth. This missed opportunity is a truly sad moment in history. Sincerely yours, Donald <laughs> J. Trump. <laughs> no, actually, if you look carefully, what it says is, thanks, Obama, Donald J. Trump. <laughs> um I mean, you know, as is pointed out in the letter, I guess the one positive, of course, that it, that did come out of it are the hostages that we got back. Yeah, but turn no that meeting. frown upside down, Ian. Uh, I mean, that is that is good, but yeah, no meeting. I mean, look, it's not like I was necessarily looking forward to a meeting of any sort because we didn't know what would come of this, uh, positive or negative. I tried to warn you. Try to warn, warn me. I try warn to, the audience, maybe. I try I to warn. I, I said, look, look, I mean, pump your brakes on. That was literally the title of the article I wrote about this was Pump Your Brakes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, you could see it coming from a mile away, but everyone was, you know, the Trump administration had those fucking coins printed out. Yeah. I mean, this was, a, I don't know what to say. Like, there's a certain there's a certain level of stupidity. Like, once you get there, you just deserve it. Like, you, you deserve whatever you get. Um and again, I don't like just blame Donald Trump for everything. As I said before, he didn't invent North Korea. Yeah. Like this shit started in 1945 and Trump is just the latest in a long procession of American presidents to try to defuse the situation. Uh, and I mean, we, we signed green or we, we tried to have agreements and negotiations with North Korea in 1972, 2000 and or no 1992 and 2007 so anyway there's been like three different times that we've tried to do this and it's never worked jimmy carter wanted to he pulled all of our nuclear weapons out of korea then he he wanted to pull all american troops out of korea entirely and i mean carter learned by the end of his presidency the world is in such a nice place there's a lot of snakes out there um so this was the first of which with kim jong-un though so yeah. I think the hope was this it, is a younger leader. He's going to handle things a little bit differently than his father. And he probably will. But, I mean, it's still the Kim family regime. They're a criminal regime, and their first priority is to maintain a stranglehold on power. And we're still playing the same fucking games that we were playing decades ago. So yeah. there it is. Yep, not happening. Sorry, no Trump Kim Jong-un challenge coin for your wallet. <laughs> Sorry, um, guys. So the, this, there's also an article on SoftRep. Luke Ryan wrote this one. Uh, surge of Taliban-led violence in Afghanistan, killing 14 and wounding 33. Uh, I read the article. He talks about that, you know, maybe or maybe not. This has some connection to Ramadan being this week. I don't know if you have any take yeah, on Yeah, there's... Um I mean, I haven't been. Luke, I'm sure, has been following what's going on in Afghanistan and that and that firefight or in that uh, that region closer than I have. But there's this myth out there that during Ramadan, all because in Ramadan Muslims fast, so there's this myth that it becomes like less violent. Like all Muslims are, you know, they're bedded down, they're hungry, so the activity dies down. They also don't fast the full, you know, time Dur- during the day. Yeah. 
So um, you can carry out attacks at night when you're eating. Well, it's also just it's a it's totally a myth. It's absolute bullshit. And if you look at the charts um, from Iraq that shows SIGAX, which are significant activities, um, bombings, shit like that, IED strikes, all that, they all go way up in, in Ramadan. Like every year in Ramadan, they went up. So um, that's a myth. And so when Ramadan pops off, that's a time where some of the bad guys, you know, they're, they're filled with religious fervor or whatever the fuck, and they go out and do this kind of shit. Yeah. All right. So you could check out that full article on softrep.com. Um, I don't know if we have an article on this yet, but as you mentioned to me, this former Delta Force commander will now be leading troops in Afghanistan. Uh, and this is Army Lieutenant General Austin, who goes by Scott Miller, um, former Delta Force captain in the Black Hawk Down Battle of Mogadishu. And he'll take command of the U.S. and NATO forces in Afghanistan from uh, General John Nicholson. And so you can cue the long procession of mainstream media articles like giving the dude a hand job. Just like they do every fucking time, um, they write these articles. Shadowy special ops general emerges from the shadows and takes over shadow command. It's like, what the fuck? And this is just the latest. I mean, it's like the last scene in uh, in that movie War Machine about General McChrystal. And then at the very end, it's Russell Crowe is coming in, just repeating the same thing. And he's like marching forward. I'm gonna, I'm in charge now. And, you know, I mean, General Miller, maybe he's a good guy. You know, I don't know him, but what the fuck? I mean, we've been over there wasting our fucking time in Afghanistan, soldiers getting killed for no reason. And the Pentagon keeps trying to tell us, oh, we're making, we're improving. Things are getting better. We're turning a corner in this war and it's all fucking bullshit. And I don't know why the press always feels the need to write these articles just fawning over these generals. Uh, It's so weird. Yeah, I don't uh, personally don't know enough about it, but I do get your point of what you're saying that we've kind of just seen the cyclical nature of things in Afghanistan. And like you said, for me personally, I've never heard the name General uh, Austin Miller or Scott Miller. I have. I mean, I I know of him. Sure. You know, but I, I mean, it's not him personally that's a problem. It's the institution that we've established in Afghanistan that we rotate these guys in and out and. Nothing happens. Yeah. Uh, And then on a completely unrelated note, I did see that George Zimmerman is trending today, which seems to happen like every few months. So I was like, (laughs) why is he trending on Twitter? And it turns out that he is currently on trial um, for a stalking case of a guy who is filming a documentary about um, Trayvon Martin. So I guess he, you know, George Zimmerman is not happy about that. And has apparently called the guy dozens of times, tried to track him down, I think showed up at his house. So he's being sued for stalking. Well, I'll I'll tell you right now, by doing that, George Zimmerman made that documentary. Yeah. Like that that dude, that's like the best luck, best thing that ever could have happened to that whoever's making that documentary. Free publicity. Now he has an awesome story. He's like, George Zimmerman's such a fucking psycho that as I was recording this, he was stalking me. Yeah, so the, but the reason it's trending is because Zimmerman uh, has a public defender representing him because he claims to be $2.5 million in debt. Um, th- this has been like the nature of this guy ever since the Trayvon Martin thing. I know that there were a lot of people defending him, and but it, it really turned out that this was just, I think it's safe to say, like not a good guy but between the, you know, stalking of his ex-wife and things like that and violence. Um and he's been arrested multiple times since the Trayvon Martin incident. And I think anybody would say, you know, after that incident, with the way it went, they would say, look, like, 
you got off, lay low, <laughs> maybe go away somewhere. And he's done anything but lay low. He even tried to auction off the gun that he killed Trayvon Martin with, which I think was unsuccessful. It's but. too bad. I mean, if uh, he had played his cards a little bit smarter, he probably could have been like an NRA spokesman or something <laughs> like that. Over like, Oliver North. <laughs> well, Oliver North is like the director. You know, he, he's, he's about to be the president. Yeah, the president. Yeah, I'm just I'm saying Zimmerman could have been like a, one of the spokesmen for yeah, the NRA. I don't, I don't know about he that. Could have, he no. could, yeah, absolutely. And he could have done those commercials. Like, do you like to shoot black people? <laughs> I sure do. I don't think the NRA would be into that. I could, you know, what, it though? would be like a little wink, wink, you, nod, nod. You like, could see him as crazy as it is, maybe being on like a little panel on Fox News or something like that. And I say a that little because panel, maybe a big panel. I, I say that because they had they've had Mark Ferguson regularly on Fox news and like what he's famous for was the oj trial and uh you're talking about Furman. Furman. who's Fer- ferguson's the guy oh uh, mark Furman. I'm, I'm confusing he was he was a racist uh yeah, lapd yeah, yeah. detective that like basically he i mean that guy pretty much blew the oj trial yeah but he's he shows up on fox news pretty regularly and that's like his claim to fame look at apparently the, using the n-word look at the people fox news has on there i mean they're all a bunch of like lunatics and just weirdos people who have no fucking business being on television yeah i well i'd say there's a mix of people there are people i regularly see on there who i do like but uh yeah there's i would agree um and they don't care either that's a weird thing like they they keep making these same mistakes like with, with the wayne the wayne simmons types of the world is it a mistake though if your ratings are so high i mean they dominate in ratings. yeah that's what i mean they, they don't care yeah so there's like, whatever, we'll get the most bombastic bullshit artist we can. <laughs> and yeah, they don't give a fuck if the person is uh, credible, if his background is legit, um, it, you know, if he has any idea what he's actually talking about. They don't care about any of that. Yeah. And Donald Trump watches that then it's like, oh, yeah, that's that's what's going on. Interesting world, man. It's, I, it's I, called the circle jerk. You're That's in the same called. boat as me. I know where I, I really don't watch any of it. No, no. I no. get a lot of my news from who I'm following on Twitter, and I read what they're reading. And uh, within a matter of minutes, I've you know gotten all the news that they're just going to repeat and debate for hours on yeah, mainstream the, media. The way I get news is yeah, probably the same way. It's because of the people I'm friends with or uh, follow on social media, and I see the articles they post. They're like, hey, here's this article about, you know, Central Asia. You should probably read it. And I like that. So I, that's like how I get my news from like I'm basically relying on on people who I think are credible to either post their own work or other stuff they've read. And I think that's probably true for like our whole generation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think you're right on that. Uh, so we have Leo Jenkins coming on. Leo is a regular on the show. Uh, the last time he was on was for the Big Mountain Heroes documentary, which Brandon Webb put together. Uh, he's been on a bunch of times before, though. But so he's doing this verses and curses tour, which we'll get into with every with uh, with him about where they're going. They're doing a whole East Coast run. But before I bring on Leo, I'll probably mention you guys right now because he's got a few minutes till we'll connect with him. Uh, there's only one club out there with gear handpicked by special operations military veterans from several branches, and that, of course, is Crate Club. Past items we've had in our crates have been Emerson Knives, a Blackhawk Industrials medical pouch, and cool stuff like a custom playing card set from an exclusive photo shoot we did with models with guns. Pretty cool. We have different tiers of membership depending on how prepared you want to be, and gift options are available as well. You can check that all out 
at CrateClub.us. Once again, that's CrateClub.us. For your dog owners, check this out. You're going to love this. We've just partnered with Kuna. They have a team of trained canine handlers picking out a box for your dog each month of healthy treats and training aids. It's custom built for your dog's size and age as well. The products are U.S. sourced, all natural, and not only promote a healthy diet, but also promote being active with your dog. So whether we're talking a pit bull, a chihuahua, this is just what you're looking for. You can see all of that at kuna.dog. That's kuna.dog. It's efficient for you. Your dog will appreciate it as well, of course, and that's spelled C-U-N-A dot D-O-G. Also, as a reminder for all of those listening, for a limited time, you can receive a 50% discounted membership to the Spec Ops channel, our channel that offers the most exclusive shows, documentaries, and interviews covering the most exciting military content today. The Spec Ops channel premiere show Training Cell follows former Special Operations Forces as they participate in the most advanced training in the country. Everything from shooting schools, defensive driving, jungle and winter warfare, climbing and much more again you can watch this content by subscribing to the spec ops channel and that's at specopschannel.com and take advantage of a limited time offer of 50 percent off your membership it's only 4.99 a month and uh, check out the app on your iphone and if you're on an android early next month that'll be available uh it looks like leo jenkins is on skype right now so i'm going to attempt to connect and get right into it so back on the podcast, first time since the Big Mountain Heroes premiere, but it's been a while, uh, well, earlier this year, uh, Leo Jenkins. Actually, that was, that was last year, come to think of it. It was a little while time, ago. Time flies, yeah. man. Uh, Leo Jenkins, former Army Ranger medic, author of a bunch of books at this point, On Assimilation, A Ranger's Return from War, uh, First Train Out of Denver, Lest We Forget, An Army Ranger Medic's Journey, and most recently is With a Pen, which came out last month, I was looking at it. I relate to your first poem in there about uh, listening to growing up listening to Deftones and Dr. Dre and then becoming a veteran and then still listening to Deftones and Dr. Dre. I was like, I, I still listen to that as well. So uh, I, I like it. And currently you're about to do the Embark on the Verses and Curses tour with two other veterans. Um, and I'll give everybody the dates, which playing a bunch of east coast dates but i'm looking forward to hearing all about it because like when i think of veterans and even veteran writers like yourself i honestly don't think of poetry it's like not the first thing that comes to mind so i want to hear all about this yeah we're 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 gonna we're hopefully you know we're trying to break down some of those walls some of those stigmas um and uh and, and break out of some of those boxes uh verses and curses tours you know, it was it was a little more than an idea that was batted around about a month ago. Um, that uh, myself and you know, like you were saying, with a pen came out this collection of poetry uh, that, that I put out about a month ago. This other gentleman is a recon marine, David Rose. He had just released uh, his poetry collection from Sand and Time. Is also the author of uh, No Joy. And then there's another cat, Justin Egan, who is getting ready to release his second uh, anthology of poetry, uh, Outside the Wire Collection. He's a, is another Marine. Um, and, you know, we just kind of started talking about let's let's, you know, get together and, and, and try to do this. And what it's really evolved into is a, an open mic event series uh, for veterans. We want to try to get uh, other veteran writers, uh, other poets to come out and share their short stories, share their poetry, um, you know, to kind of break down those walls, those stigmas that, you know, if you're a veteran, you're a knuckle dragger, you're a crayon eater, you're, you're this and that. And to, to, to show by showing rather than telling people, you know, we're, we're a pretty diverse, um, 
uh, group of people. And, and, you know, we want to show that with our words. So, um, yeah, it kind of all clicked and came together. We're hitting that first stop on Memorial Day in your city, in New York City at MNO Looney's. And uh, we're going to roll out from there. Yeah. I'm uh, super excited, um, you know, see what you guys have put together. Uh, I think it's really cool. Um, interested to meet uh, David and Justin, too. Yeah, they've got, I mean, um, I, I, just, I just finished No Joy, uh, you know, uh, Dave Rose's book, and phenomenal writer, very, um, you know, I, I pick up these like Hunter S. Thompson type, uh, you know, vibe off of his writing. <laughs> it's very, very creative, uh, a little loose, um, and, uh, you know, it's... Uh, I'm stoked. We, we bought. We ended up getting an RV for this trip, and it's it's kind of turned into this thing where you know I think each one of us wanted to be a musician uh, at some point in their life, and to do this like kind of tour, and and you know it, it kind of has evolved into that where we're we're kind of playing out our, our our childhood fantasy of being rock star poets, you know, like <laughs> traveling around. So it'll be interesting to be the three of us in an RV with a videographer. And, We'll see what kind of shenanigans uh, uh, come about, but you know, stoked to have have Jack uh, in New York City reading some stuff from his upcoming book. I'm really excited about that. Marty Scoblin's going to be up there near Boston uh, uh, reading some of his works, um, and we've got uh, you know several other you know, notable um, you know professional veteran writers who I'm hoping um, you know as people come out to these events and who are aspiring writers who are you know just getting out of the military that they have the opportunity to come up yeah. and ask us questions. How did you do it? You you know, what's, you know, um, so that, you know, we can utilize our, our voice, our position to, to help people and guide them through that, uh, through that transition. Yeah. It's always super interesting to meet those guys. And it's, uh, made me really happy to see more and more guys getting out of the military and kind of finding where their voice is and, and using it to talk about their experiences. That's been really cool to see happen. Um, but frankly, on my in my own case, I'm a little nervous or getting a little nervous because I still have no idea what the hell I'm going to read on Monday. Um, I, I got uh, plenty of stuff, but I have to figure out exactly what I'm going to read. There is a, a, a brief Leo Jenkins uh, cameo in the in the book I'm writing. <laughs> that, that that's uh, that's exciting, but more terrifying than anything else. I don't. There could be so many different things where. Uh, that could be. Uh, I'm, I'm. I'm sure it's going to be very well written. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's. Uh, no, it's just. It's, a, it's always interesting to see how people uh, people write about you. I'm used to writing about other people, you know. So. No, it's just a brief mention. I because I. I mean, I didn't know you very well when we were in Ranger Battalion together. I definitely knew who you were and definitely crossed paths with you. But I mean, I don't really recall us like hanging out or anything because we were in different companies. Um. But I, I mean, it was what I, I asked you about um, the uh, the guy getting flex cuffed to the fence in Afghanistan. Yeah, that's uh, I, I mean, it's funny now, like looking back on it, like yeah. the sense of humor that you have in the middle of war, um, you know, to look back on it now, it's like, man, that was a little bit mean, you know, uh, some of the stuff that we do. But it's, it, you know, it's all out of love. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, like, you know, if, the other thing, too, and I, I actually recently wrote about this uh, in, in, a, in an article, um, but uh, the concept of not spotlighting yourself, right? It's like one of the worst things that you oh, yeah, can do yeah. in our community. And to be like, it's my birthday. It's my special day. You're really asking for, uh, for, <laughs> for some, some form of punishment. Now, correct me. And when we start talking about this stuff, I start having more recollections. And correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm totally remembering this wrong. 
weren't you one of the dudes who was at the promotion ceremony where First Sergeant Sealy was promoting dudes out at Salerno and he was just like rocking guys when he was pinning them? Oh, he was notorious for that. I mean, the, the, he, his, his nickname, the Rhino, was very well deserved. Um, <laughs> and yeah, he get, so um, that was uh, I, I, that was the that was the ceremony that I got my um, my uh, combat medic badge, my CMB. Ah, OK. Um, and it was Doc Orth. Um, who was my senior medic at the time, uh, who, who he was, he wasn't much more gentle than Sealy was, <laughs> With it. but you know, they were both old school Rangers and, uh, you know, that was, that was hopefully I'm, I'm hoping that that time honored tradition is still going on. Yeah, yeah. I know with the blood wings and airborne school, I got mine and, and I've heard, you know, that it's, they backed off with, with that type of stuff a little bit in public eye. And I actually, I remember in airborne school, they, we didn't do the blood wings during the ceremony. They left it up to us after we got back to the company area away from the parents and the grandparents, you know, Hey, if you want to do this, you know, get in formation and, and, and the black hats drilled them in and we didn't have the choice. We weren't given the choice once we were in Ranger battalion and, you know, we were in Salerno and Afghanistan. They just, they drove it home and it, it, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, you earn it and, and you bleed into it and, uh, you know, it becomes a part of well, you. And I, 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 I think that it's a beautiful thing. But I was just going to ask because I when Drew Dwyer was on the podcast, he explained like what the Marines do. Like, well, what exactly is the process of that whole ceremony? Uh, the blood wings in, in airborne school is just, you know, it's a little pin that goes on your uniform with like the, the straight, uh, you know, needle back in, that backs out. And then there's a backer that goes on it when you put it through the fabric. Well, without that backer on it, they put it on your uniform. And blood wings, I mean, it's not a big deal, folks, okay? Don't freak out. Just take, like, a hammer fist and punch you so that it drives that metal piece into your skin, hence blood wings. Do you guys know if the Marines do the same thing? Because I remember Drew Dwyer explaining pretty much the exact same thing. I think they used to in in, uh, Marine Corps boot camp when they get their eagle globe and anchor. Yep, and I think that's what he described. You know, the symbolism of that becoming a part of you, I think, is pretty beautiful. And, and if you if you look at the amount of suffering that, you know, a Marine goes through through the course of training their crucible and everything, um, that, that little pin stick at the end is probably one of the least painful things, you know. But it's, you know, it's kind of seen as, you know, being a little, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, anachronistic at this point. Uh, but it's in falling with great traditions, um, you know, I, well, I, you know, same, same. I think Sealy drove. He drove. He drove more chevrons into dudes. Uh, <laughs> and then, <laughs> he was. He was. He was great about it. He had a thing though where, um, and this was. This is all. This was camaraderie. And it's you know, it's out of the scope of it when you're not there experiencing it. Um, you know, it can seem a little bit barbaric. Uh, um, but uh, you know, he would have us all. You know, get into push-up position. You know, be maybe 15 guys shoulder to shoulder. And as we're doing push-ups, he would walk on our backs. And he's not. A, he's not a small. He's man. a he's big a, you dude. Know, this guy's a guy whose his arms was big around as my quads, and uh, but it was it was you know that was the environment that we were in, and it wasn't out of it wasn't out of anything but but love, you know that tough love. <laughs> well, you know, like Joseph Campbell uh, was someone who he'd talk about like the importance of tradition and ceremony and and the rite of passage and all that kind of stuff, and uh, and I remember in an interview they asked him like, well, what happens when we we don't have that anymore? He's like, well, read the newspaper. You see all of these guys who are you know technically adults, but they're running around like children, committing crimes, and doing all kinds of stupid shit. That's what happens when you strip the the ceremony and the tradition out of society. 
Yeah, I think, and I think that's very important. That was, you know, there's there's plenty of societies that um, when you know when guys would come back, when warriors would return, they would share their experiences of war, and so that it would it would kind of meld into the into the collective consciousness of society. They would understand, okay, this is what you went through. One, it's a cathartic experience for the warrior returning, uh, but two, it, it kind of breaks that giant stone uh, um, into little pieces and distributes it, uh, you know, amongst the society collectively. And that's really what we want to do with this Verses and Curses tour is give that opportunity, um, you know, give a microphone to somebody who might not have had that experience before, because, again, it's cathartic uh, to to give up a piece of that, to to share a piece of that. But moreover, to share with society that this is the reality of what your warriors go through, good, bad, ugly and otherwise. You know, there's going to be a lot of very funny stories. It's not uh, it's not just, uh, you know, the heavy stuff. But it's it's all important. It's all important that we understand these ceremonies and the reasons for them, uh, the reasons for the dark humor, and to destigmatize like, oh, this you know this uh, disgruntled veteran, no, he's just over there pissed off in the corner. Well, let's give him a chance to speak in front of people. And why are you, you know, why are you a little bit jaded about things? And and okay, I can I can we can accept that. We can understand that. And it goes. I think it goes a couple of notches. Just lending your ear goes a couple notches above the. Uh, the traditional, you know, yellow ribbon on the back of your Honda Civic saying we support the troops. Um, I think that, you know, the listening and, and understanding of those types of traditions, why is this guy punching this other guy, yeah. you know, this pin into his chest? You know, what is the significance, the relevance of that? Oh, that's actually quite beautiful. If you think about it, it's not barbaric. Um, and OK, maybe we can incorporate some of those concepts into uh, the greater society as a whole. So the the verses and curses tour. I mean, is it going to be a combination then of uh, you know all of the uh, the things we've carried, uh, my war gone by, the sort of heavy stuff combined with you know the the first sergeant Sealy stories? Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's I I, <laughs> I um, I've got I've been looking through. I've never so I've never done a reading from Lest We Forget in in four or five years since it was published. I mean, I've never done a public reading. I started kind of thumbing through there. Um, David Rose is no joy. There's plenty of absolutely laugh out loud comedic um, entries in that book. And it's I'm really hoping to keep a balance of those two things. I want people to come up and share their their short stories about the phantom shitter, you know, kind of kind of (laughs) situations, because it's it's that's that's reality. That's part of, you know, probably more so than the actual uh, nitty you know, dirty violence of combat, you know, anybody who's been in, in a Ranger Battalion or a SEAL team or, you know, an SF group, they understand that it's really, there's a lot of those um, light, you know, just moments. And there's there's really only a few of those really, really intense yeah. uh, type. And like, there's that, that balance. Now we think about those intense moments because they imprint on us a little bit heavier, but to, to really tell the story of, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, combat experience throughout the course of the global war on terrorism, I think it's very appropriate to tell both sides of that. Um, I'll be delivering, I, I'm still back and forth that there's this, there's, you know, the story of the first time I, I had a digital rectal exam in front of a large group <laughs> of people. Uh, you know, like these are, those are, those are real moments. That's something that, that we go through in order to become a special special operations medic. Uh, and it's something that I think most civilians would go, wait, you, you did what to each other? Um, it's but, not gay, know, it's medicine, or so we're it, told. It's not gay, it's medicine, <laughs> right? As long as you got a glove on, it's fine. 
Um, but yeah, there, there's going to be, there's, I think there's going to be that ebb and flow. Um, the poems, I think some of them are, I know some of the ones that I'm going to deliver are, are, are kind of goofy and have nothing to do with the military. Um, they have nothing to do with combat. Um, it's just, you know, it's and, a, and by the way, those are what can be seen in with a pen, right? Your latest book. Yeah. With a pen is, you know, it's, there is some, there is, you know, uh, war is a, a, a bit of a theme here and there, but a lot of the war concept is more of the, uh, um, internal war that we fight, we struggle through, uh, as just as human beings, you know, you mentioned that first poem in there, Oh, did Dr. Dre. And it's, you know, that, that poem really is about, um, you know, we all have a struggle. We all, every human being, as they go through their, you know, their human experience, they go through various struggles. And for a lot of people, definitely myself included, we use music to get through those, those struggles. We, yeah. we relate with, with music and, and we use it as a, as a, as a form of healing and, and, and something that we can turn to. It's an outlet. Um, and so, you know, yeah, there's, there's lines in that poem about, you know, experiences that I had in Afghanistan that are heavy, but, you know, through my childhood that were heavy, but, you know, ultimately, you know, this is the human experience and involves suffering. Uh, but also that common ground of, you know, you know, finding release in different artistic expressions. Well, what it reminded me of as like the civilian where you said you still listen to Deftones and Dr. Dre, which I do as well. Like I remember being a young kid listening to like Wu-Tang Clan and stuff and my dad <laughs> being like, you're not going to be listening to this crap in 10 years. And I'm a 32 year old man still listening, dollar to, dollar bills, <laughs> still listening to all that. Yes. I still have my Britney Spears tapes. Nice. Oh, I have Britney Spears on my iPod. No, no shame. Yeah. I have everything I've, from fucking like the Acacia strain to Britney Spears on my iPod. I, I was just joking, Ian. I didn't really think you were going to take that bait. No, I'm serious. I, I, I genuinely listen to everything. I, I, have a, I have a Justin Bieber song on iTunes. It was catchy. We're <sighs> <laughs> like, where do we go with this interview? I don't, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, so how did you get hooked up with these other two guys actually? Because they're both Jack and I are not really familiar with them and I'm glad you gave us their background, but what's the story of like meeting them? Man, the internet's a strange place. Yes, it is, sir. Um, (laughs) uh, it was, you know, it's kind of a testament to how small the veteran community is. You know, we, we, you know, we think that it's, it's really big, but numerically we're, we're pretty, you know, it's. There's there's only so many circles, and when you start talking about veteran writers, um, you know it gets even smaller. Special operations veteran writers, it's definitely even smaller. Um, and you know, I just I saw his work pop up in my feed, you know, two, three, four, five times. And so I, I picked up his poetry book the day it came out. It's uh, from Sand and Time. It just won some big award in DC, and and I uh, I start I started reading it. And, I was like, wow, man, uh, you know, my, my book with a pen was getting ready to drop like a week after that. And uh, I, I was like, this guy's got chops, man. This guy's a great poet. He's a great writer. Uh, and so I just I just messaged him and said, hey, I, I, I just got your your book uh, from Santa Time and I really enjoyed it. And he had heard of me and we just kind of started talking and we were, you know, we kind of the idea was, well, let's just get together and do let's do like an, a like a book event. Um, where we can kind of co-collaborate and we're just the kind of, I think we're both the kind of guys. And I think a lot of people who come from, from our particular backgrounds, um, we don't, we don't really understand limitations very well. So it started out as let's get together and just do a book signing event and, and read some of this. And that 
within five minutes turned into a whole tour and, 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 and we just kept adding, you know, oh, we should get an RV. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Let's do that. You know? And it just, well, let's do New York city and let's do Boston. Let's do Atlanta. Let's do DC. And you know, we just, the, the idea of the limitations or the, I don't think we can do that. It just doesn't exist. We just, every idea that one of us put out, the other one was like, yes, let's do that. We don't know how we're going to do that. We don't know where we're going to book these events. Uh, we don't know how we're going to, you know, let's just let's just do it because we can. Um, and it just it's kind of morphed and evolved. And it's been I tell you, it has been one of the most inspiring things that I've seen as of late is to watch how many different people and organizations within the veteran community have come and and stood behind this. And it's crazy to me because, as you said, uh, you know, a few minutes ago, poetry and like the special operations veteran community are not two things that you usually see connected. Yeah. And see how many people with with huge reaches are really, really behind this. Uh, the Recon Sniper Foundation, you know, they came to us and said, we want to help, you know, co-sponsor this. We want to help back this, uh, you know. And to me, I'm like, oh, we must be doing something right. We've had so many different veteran-owned uh, businesses, um, breweries, and bars say, hey, you know, reach out to us and say, we want, we want you to come to our spot. Um, so, you know, I think we're on to something. These five uh, stops on the East Coast will be, um, you know, they're, they're kind of the test to see, okay, um, you know, what, what's the appropriate venue size? What are, what are we doing? And by, by no means are these five going to be the only five. But we have such an, like an eclectic array of venues talking about Emmett O'Looney's in New York City, you know, on Memorial Day. And then, you know, we've got a veteran-owned coffee shop in Haverhill, uh, Massachusetts, just outside of Boston two days later. And then, you know, the National Museum of the Marine Corps in Washington, D.C. And then right after that, we have the oldest, seediest strip club and dive bar in Atlanta. <laughs> nice. I, to my knowledge, we will be the first people to ever recite poetry at uh, at this uh, particular establishment. Uh, Hold on, wh- which establishment? I'll tell you if it's the most seedy in Atlanta or not. <laughs> uh, Claremont Lounge. It's at nah, least no. Nah. <laughs> it's at least it is at least the oldest uh, um, um, strip club in Atlanta. The oldest running strip club in Atlanta. Really? Are there going to be strippers uh, so while it, you guys are performing? Yeah, so they were, they were like, well, you can't well, shut maybe, down main stage, man. We got to get the girls off stage while you guys are doing your thing. Uh, but I was like, you don't. I don't mind. You know, I can <laughs> I can rip off some verse and uh, you know, and in spot while surrounded by uh, you know um, the flesh. Also, uh, what happens if you're like a guy who doesn't know this event is happening? You want to go to a strip club? You get there. And it's Leo Jenkins on stage. It's a twofer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're welcome. That's what. <laughs> so then, and then the last stop of the tour is Cooper City, Florida. Correct. Yeah, we got we got a, um, uh, a Red Alert Brewery that we're going to be hitting up. So there, there are five com- very different types of venues. Um, we're going to kind of see, um, you know where you know how this plays out and then uh during the course of the tour the 10 days that we're going to be in this rv together uh we're going to be putting together all of the other stops you know we've west coast is going to happen um we're looking we've been getting a lot of interest um in uh in the in the midwest texas chicago had people reach out in denver tacoma um portland phoenix that want us to come and do this so we just kind of have to dial in the logistics um Justin, uh, author of uh, Outside the Wire Collection, he's getting his second 
volume is dropping, I think, on 4th of July. And he's also about to be a first-time father. His, his wife right now is, uh, you know, I think eight and a half or nine months pregnant. So the idea that he's going and doing this is Yikes. pretty... Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty spectacular. Uh, but we, we're kind of we're working around some of those logistical constraints. Obviously, you want to be there for the birth of your first child. That's a very important yeah. event. Um, so, uh, you know, we're we're working through where are we going to be going? And these again, these five are, are nowhere near the last five stops for this. I would like to make this an annual thing, to be honest, uh, and try to encourage more veterans and not just writers, poets, uh, but musicians to mm-hmm. do, you know, event series where, hey, come out and share some songs that you've written, um, you know, and, and just keep letting it uh, let it in unfurl. Yeah, I mean, this is really cool, too, because just poetry in general is a hard sell. Uh, my uh, my next door neighbor, she published a uh, like poetry chat book or something like that. So our, typical because you live in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. <laughs> I, I, I think it's actually Catholic poetry. Oh, really? Um, yeah, well, that's not typical. Um, but yeah, it's I mean, it's difficult. It's a difficult genre um, to, you know, penetrate, I guess you could say. Yeah, it's not. I mean. <laughs> people are like, well, you know, Leo, why did you, why did you choose to write a poetry book? And I joke that, you know, well, I was just trying to figure out what's the way that I can avoid ever becoming rich and famous. Um, <laughs> that is, that is the way to do it, man. There's like, I think there's like seven or eight poets right now who are actually feeding their family off of, <laughs> off of verse. But, um, you know, it's, it's a, it, it's different. There's, there's not a lot of rules with poetry. I mean, yeah. you've got stuff like haikus, which I don't dabble into because I don't like anyone telling me how many syllables I can use, um, or how to, you know, frame this or that, but there's, there's just a lot of places you can go. There's a lot of room for hyperbole and, um, it's, it's, there's a lot of colors to paint with, uh, in that, in that genre. And I think even if, even if you're not planning on, you know, publishing poetry, I think every writer owes it to themselves to at least explore that genre uh, because it, it does, it, it taps into a different form, different level of creative that then you can take and transfer over and, and make your prose, look, you know, maybe a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, colorful. Was it uh, Justin or David who you said is, is having a kid? Uh, Justin. Because yeah. correct me if I'm wrong here. I could be, uh, you know, I, I, there's so many guys who just know from the show it all gets scrambled together. Didn't you just recently have a kid? Yes, yeah. Um, my daughter is uh, ten months. So yeah, okay. this like really breaks the stereotype of like once you get married, have a kid, you can't live your life. Because I know plenty of guys like that who, you know, they they wouldn't be able to travel in a van and and do this. Tour you have the to way live your life. I mean, yeah. What other option is there? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, there's plenty of guys I know who just basically stay chained to the house unless they're at work and uh, don't really do much. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the best example, of, the primary example that my child has for how to live life is me and her mother, um, you know, and I, I want to continue to show her, like, it, take a risk, you know, go out and, yeah. um, you know, to do something different, do something creative. Like Jack said, you got to live your life. You've got to, you know, because that, that child is looking at you, you know, I want her. She's, so we just, we just, uh, she was born in Mexico and, um, we've just applied for her third passport. They so took our jobs. Yeah. Yeah. My husband, thanks my Leo. My Mexican, my Mexican daughter is the, <laughs> she's the threat, the, the blonde hair, blue eyed little gringa chick who's, I, she's, uh, <laughs> you got an, you're doing the anchor baby thing the wrong way. I don't think that's how it's supposed I did. to be. I definitely did. I wrote about that as well. And like, it's, it's been an interesting, that you want to talk about an interesting assimilation culturally. I bet. Uh, 
I'm immigrating the opposite direction. I've got a green card, um, you know, in Mexico. Um, and I think, uh, Jack, I told you this story at one point. But my wife, uh, who's Canadian, was deported from Mexico uh, for being an undocumented worker. But she got she didn't get deported to Canada. They deported her to the United States, where she's not even from. So it's it's been an interesting thing. The, the process of, uh, you know, getting a driver's license, you know, in, in a foreign country and and in and everything that comes in between. It's a totally, totally different uh, process for for a lot of these uh, things, and I'm you know like I'm the I'm the dumb immigrant who's sitting at the DMV. And I don't know the language uh, very well, you know. I, I get by with it, but you know I'm sitting there with my crying child on my lap trying to get a driver's license and going, uh, you know what, what, what. Uh, so feeling it the other way is it's it's been a very interesting cultural uh, experience for me and, and understanding you know be, being an immigrant. I'm I'm you know we've we've immigrated to. Uh, to Mexico at this point, my, my daughter will have free passports. We just applied for a U.S. passport. So, um, you know, to give her that opportunity to be able to go anywhere in the world to be whoever she wants to be, it's not enough to, I think, to tell a child, you can be what you want to be. Yeah. Show them, if they you know? see and dad working like a, a menial uh, nine to five job that you hate and you're miserable and all of that, I mean, is that setting a good uh, a, a good example? But, you know, you got to you got to lead the way. And I, I you know, I've I've you know, in, at this point, um, the most important job that I have is is being a father and being a, yeah. uh, a role model. And I always wanted to be a rock star to some degree, you know, like I always at least wanted to go on tour. And so I'm doing that because there's never there's never a time when you can't do you can't follow and pursue um, you know, the things that you want in life. And there's nobody, I mean, people will tell you it's dumb. People will tell you that's not a good idea or you shouldn't do that or that's going to fail. But I mean, fuck those people. Yeah. You, can, you can do it and, and, and watch what happens. Um, believe in yourself. And, and, you know, I don't, I don't think that for me, it's not enough to give my child that lip service and say, you can be what you want. I'm not going to tell her that. I'm going to go out and be exactly what I want to be every single day. And, and hopefully she just observes that from the youngest age. And I, I, you know, I don't, I don't think it's appropriate for any human being to put themselves on a shelf just because they have a child, uh, because that child is seeing you put yourself on that shelf. Yeah. Um, And I I think, you know, know, our kids look at us and they don't, I don't, I really don't believe our kids want us to be pussies. No, like just, but he wants the dad who can beat up the other dad, you know, like, um, everybody wants that, you know, it's, it's it, having a strong, you know, influence in life. And, and I'm just saying like in a, in a violent sense, in, in somebody who is capable, uh, who is driven, who is going out and, and achieving, it's a, it's a great example to set. And we can do it in small ways. You know, you don't have to do a full on tour in, in so many little ways we can, yeah. we can be that example for that next generation. And there's a lot of that going on right now, right. With, you know, and I see it and it's, it's, it's tough, but again, the internet's a different place than reality. Um, but what we see on the internet a lot now, what we've been seeing more on social media is this, this, I think, unnecessary discourse. You know, we have, you know, we have teenagers who are, you know, who are vocalizing their, you know, themselves and utilizing their first amendment right to, to speak for what they believe in. Um, and I really think that this is an opportunity for our generation to go, okay, you know, you know, we're the adults, uh, but that doesn't mean that your that your voice is, is mo- you're going to be t- you're going to be the adults in ten years and twenty years. You're going to be the one 
um, dictating, you know, <laughs> what it looks like when we're retired, you know, um, and to, to, to show that generation that listening um, and showing them by example, that example of, you know, your voice is valued. What do you have to say? Okay, I don't, here's the thing, I don't agree with it, and here's why. And to, to show that generation that's coming up behind us how to engage in yeah. conversation, in dialogue, and in, in civil discourse uh, without the vitriol. Yeah. Uh, yeah, what you're saying is completely true. Unfortunately, it's like I think the people who believe that, which is probably the three of us, are in the minority. I mean, I saw what that whole student march, you know, against firearms, which like, the three of us pretty much on the opposite side of the spectrum, but these, you know, adults double the age of these kids going on Twitter and like cursing at them. And just, it's, it's pretty disgusting. Well, to I see was us. in the middle like, of the March here in the city though. Most people were pretty reasonable. Yeah. But on Twitter, people are not. On t- well, Twitter makes people assholes. Yeah. I yeah. mean, <laughs> Twitter makes people assholes. It's it, it, the internet is a whole nother place. Yeah. You it's know, toxic. It, 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 it is it is affecting our collective consciousness, right? Yeah. We we speak to each other differently in in those spheres than we do in person, um, and you know I think the, generationally, like our generation, definitely puts an emphasis on social media, but not nearly as much as the generation that grew up with an iPhone yeah. in their hand from the earliest age, right? That is that is stitched into the fiber of who they are, and so those words tend to. You know, those interactions via, you know, Facebook, Twitter, uh, you know, any of the other newfangled social media devices that the kids are using these days. Um, you know, those 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 exchanges are, I think, more valuable to that uh, uh, to that generation where um, we still definitely have a lot more experience with um, interacting with people face to face. Uh, and I think that's a very important thing. I think we need to, you know, as uh, as, as Maynard uh, said, you know, it's time to put the silicone obsession down. Uh, you know, it, it's it's to to come you know face to face and have those uh, those conversations. I think that's going to be the the cool new thing, the avant garde thing to do is to use your smartphone to coordinate an in person meeting. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's what we're trying to do with this this versus incursive. We're trying to get people out to engage with one another uh, to. Um, you know, to, uh, you know, to, to hear one another speak and uh, to, you know, to, to collaborate is a great poet of our generation. Vanilla Ice said, stop <laughs> collaborate and listen. Right? <laughs> All right. Two questions, Jenkins. Uh, first one, very practical. How much material should I have prepared for Memorial Day? Uh, I mean, I think, I think that, so the, I, I think we're going to go and maybe like, five to eight minute rotations mm-hmm. just to keep people interested. I'm going to get up there, do an introduction and, and do a poem or two, pass the mic off, um, you know, let Dave Rose do his thing for a few minutes and, and just let it cycle through. So, you know, you got five to eight minute story, three to five, eight minute story to, to rip off and, you know, hop into the rotation when you feel comfortable with it. Um, and same thing with anyone else that has a poem, a short story uh, who wants to, you know, get up, we'll have the, you know, we'll announce that, Hey, the next five, eight minutes is, is anybody who wants to grab the mic and, and to share. If you want to go over that a little bit, cool, man, it's your world. You got the microphone in your hand, do your thing. Uh, if you want to do two or three short pieces or just one, um, you know, we're just we're stoked to be, you know, sharing these collective experiences cool. together, regardless of length. OK, so uh, I'll try to prepare, you know, two or three vignettes. And, and you're saying that like other dudes can show up if they want with with whatever material they have ready to go and just jump into the rotation. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Sweet. I think, you know, it's going to probably go me, Dave, Justin, open. 
me, awesome. Dave, Justin, open. Um, and so, you know, 25% of the time that we're up there, the, the mic is going to be available if somebody wants to come up. And we're encouraging that. Mm-hmm. I want people to share whatever they can um, because I want to hear some other guys' poetry. I, I've, I've heard all mine and I've read the other two guys. I, I as, as selfish as it sounds, I want to I want to experience some people who I've never met and I've never engaged with. I want to hear what they've got to say. Uh, because that shit's inspiring, man. Yeah. At least for me, like it pumps me up. I want I want to hear people who are coming out and 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 ripping off, you know, ripping poems out that are better than mine, um, and short stories and things that make you laugh and things that make you think. Um, and then we can all have, um, you know, a two or three or ten adult libations together and explore those experiences. Well, that's what brings me to our uh, my second question is. Just like the beatnik art houses of the day, can I snap my fingers in the air when I like what you say? You know, it's a free country. You can do whatever you want. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> I, I plan on raising up a drink, and, and that's going to kind of be my applause, and, and I'll do that thing. And it's going to be a very <laughs> loose, very, very uh, casual. These events are very casual. Again, we're doing one of them in a tick club. So it is going to be what it's going to be. I'm not going to try to control it too awful much. Uh, if you, if you want to get your, uh, you know, your Ginsburg uh, uh, snap snap on, and that makes you feel good, then and who bongo, am I bongo I drums. Fucking right. Bring them out, man. Bring the Congos. Bring them. Uh, uh, you know, you can, you know, wear your beret. Just make sure that it's not too squared away, and and uh, we'll go from there. I can tell Jim West is, uh, like, freaking out about what he should do because he, he, he wants to come. He's excited, and then he was like, you know, give me Leo's number because I think he, he has the same question as you, Jack, of, like, what should I go up there? What's appropriate? I, I haven't heard from Jim at all. We had, we had Jim said he'll be there, though. He did we, we had lunch together a week ago, but I, I haven't heard anything from him since. He may have uh, gotten in touch with you, right, Leo? Because I think he was. Uh, I gave I gave you his number because he's. I got one. his number. I got, I'm going to give him a call this oh, afternoon. Cool. Yeah. I love the fact that he's coming out. Yeah. Uh, he's such a great guy. Um, and again, it's just one of those things where if you want to share something, you can. If you don't want to, you don't have to. Um, you know, if poetry is not your thing, there's other stuff going on. You know, sit and have a glass of whiskey and, and ask questions. We'll have, um, you know, we'll have books available if anybody's looking to have, you know, a book signed. We're happy to do that. Nice. Uh, we'll have copies of I'll have copies of Less We Forget, First Train Out of Denver with a pen, it, just in case people want them. Um, same thing. Rose, Dave Rose will have, uh, you know, No Joy and From Sand and Time. And, and Justin will have some copies of uh, Outside the Wire. And, uh, you know. We're just we're just hoping to interact with our community as much as possible. Um, and it's something different, man. If you've never like I'll be honest, man, I've never gone to, a, you know, a poetry reading before. Uh, and it's it's uh, it's going to be something new for a lot of people. And, you know, that's what life is, is, you know, is engaging in new experiences and and not judging something until you've you've actually tasted it a little bit. Um, but yeah, we're Jim, you know, he can come up, he can, he can, that man can, can say whatever he wants. He can just grab the mic and, 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 uh, you know, tell a story. It doesn't have to be something that's, I, uh, I admit I'm yeah. slightly scared of what he's going to say. <laughs> I feel the same way for, for those who don't know, by the way, the first time that Leo met Jim in person after a few drinks, Leo, you were like, wonder what would happen if I got into a fight with Jim West. I wanted to see if I could survive a punch from that man. I'll be honest with you, and I'm 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 very lucky. Um, my dad called me right when I was propositioning Jim about this, and uh, I was like, I'm gonna have. I think I'm gonna have Jim West punch me in my face. And uh, my dad was like, Okay, let put him on the phone. And my dad, I think, was like, Please don't hit my son. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, uh, but you know, it's like, hey, I, I, hey, to be, it's a, it's a, it's a feather in the cap, you know. Like I survived a punch from, uh, from a, from a pretty damn deadly man. So, yeah. um, it was, it was a poor idea, and I'm, I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad that he did not entertain the thought more than just to laugh at me. I've, I've got to ask. You're an avid surfer, crossfitter, snowboarder. Like you're a big extreme sports guy. Like, what are you up to on that front right now? Um, you know, right now, you know, the, the surf is kind of goofy where I live, uh, in the springtime, I try to surf as much as I can five, six times a week. Um, I'm pretty close to, to the break. You know, I try to walk down each morning and and check it out. That's been occupying most of my physical endeavors, but you know, I try to keep it together with, you know, I don't, I don't lift, I don't go crazy lifting too much anymore, but I'm doing a lot more gymnastic stuff. I'm still working rings, um, you know, kettlebells here and there and, uh, just trying to stay fit. I'm trying, I'm just trying to stave off the dad bod is my primary like, fitness uh, thing after, you know, I've competed, uh, uh, elite level in mixed martial arts. I, I raced triathlon professionally for several years and then, uh, crossed in, you know, switched over into, you know, competing in CrossFit and, and did, uh, you know, compete as an individual at regionals for a few years in a row. And, um, you know, those days, you know, I'm 35 now going on 36, you know, the amount of training that you have to endure, that your body has to endure to do any of those sports, it starts to wear on you after a while. I've got my tears and my breaks and my, you know, all of those injuries and they're starting to catch up. So surfing is one of those relatively low impact sports that I can do five, six times a week. And then I'm just trying to stay as limber as possible, trying to, trying to, trying to be able to keep up with my child for as late in the life <laughs> as possible is really my fitness goals at this stage. And, and to not, again, have the dad bod. We had my, my daughter's uh, birthday party uh, over the weekend, and um, there's probably like 16 kids over for it. And um, by the end of it, after everyone went home, I, I laid down. I took a nap. I felt like dead asleep for like two hours. I'm like, oh, my God, I've become my parents. Yeah, it's a it's a weird shift, right? You're like, dude, all the times when I heard my parents when I was really young say, "I wish I had your energy." It's like, well, just yeah. come on. It's what, what's the hard thing about it? You get you get in on in years, and especially doing the things we've done with how you know how many ruck marches, how many you know uh, static line jumps, and the knees and the back and everything. It's you know you're slowing down a little bit, you know, not too much, but you know you're just trying to stave that off a little bit and keep that at bay and. But like my my ten month old man, I like I envy her when she goes down for her nap because I'm like this is the only forty minutes of the day that I've got that's quiet that I I'm gonna get a little bit done, uh, so I I can't follow suit. But I'm, we're becoming our parents, man. And yeah. I, <laughs> well, well, your daughter's at that age where like she doesn't really necessarily know she's getting tired. It probably just it's like fl- the off switch gets flipped. Like they're just going all all day, and then all of a sudden they like lay down on the couch and fall asleep. Yeah. She, um, well, she, she, yeah, she goes, 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 goes. Yeah. And then when she gets tired. She, it's just cantankerous. It's just, ah, so then you gotta, you know, she, she goes down. She doesn't, she, she's either sleeping or she's on fire. It's one or the other. Yep. yep um, exactly. Well, my, my kid doesn't t- really take naps that often anymore now that she, she just turned uh, seven. So, uh, but they have limitless energy. It's incredible. Yeah. If we just tap into that, just tap into that a little bit. Um, yeah, she, it's inspiring though, man. Like, you know, this is, it's, it's an interesting evolution into, you know, for me to, uh, it, it speeds you up in certain ways and it slows you down in others. Uh, and it's, it's a, uh, it's, a, it's a cool experience, a very inspiring thing. Cause I look at this human being looking at me and, you know, not that she has any expectations of me, but I understand fully that her, you know, her concept of who you should be in life is 
she's learning that every minute of every day, you know, through my actions. Um, and it makes me want to be a better human being. It makes me want to be, um, just, just better in every way, shape and form. Well, it's more, Uh, it's more than just that even Jenkins. I mean, a kid doesn't know any better. Like she thinks you are the world, like you and her mom are the world. Yeah. And I think it's, it's my responsibility to, to give her the best version of that. And, uh, it, it makes me work harder, man. I didn't, I, I, uh, I was, I was very much, I was blissfully enjoying the, you know, we lived in a van for a year and a half traveling through from Alaska to Panama. Um, you know, lived in a camper. We, we hit up last winter. I think we hit 14 different, uh, ski resorts, uh, in the back of a camper, uh, while, while my wife was pregnant, I think she skied up to five months. We were still climbing outdoors until about five months. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's a different, like the, the brakes kind of halt a little bit, but it speeds up in other places. And, um, it's, uh, it's not, a, it's not a place where I thought I was going to be at two years ago necessarily. Uh, but it's, it is, it is really cool. It is really cool. That's awesome. I'm wondering, so the, like I said, the last time we had you on was Big Mountain Heroes. The banner people will see for this episode is like a great shot of you shooting the Big Mountain Heroes documentary, having the time of your life. Um, but all right, three of the guys who were on Big Mountain Heroes, yourself, Nick Betts and Nick Cahill, you are, as you said, living in Mexico. Nick Betts is living in Mexico Nick Cahill is apparently at your place right now. He told me right now in Mexico. <laughs> like, what's with all you guys moving to Mexico? What's the Have What's the big appeal there? Ha-ha. Ian, I'll tell you what. I, I and I don't know if I should do this or not, but you're invited. You come down and stay at my house in Baja for a weekend. Um, and it is, might be a dangerous premise because you might not want to go back, but you'll <laughs> see why. Um, Nick Nick Betts and I had a lot of com- conversations about that move uh, when we were in Chamonix shooting Big Mountain Heroes. Um, and you know, he'd been kind of thinking about it for a while. And I like to think that like, I gave him that like little last little bit of a push (laughs) of like, dude, it's pretty sweet, you know, um, living by, you know, this motto of make dollars, spend pesos is the conversion rate is actually pretty sweet. Uh, but it's, you know, I, I enjoy, I, at this time in my life, I enjoy the, the expansive freedom of the Baja Peninsula. I, I just do. It's, you know, it's uh, live and let live. Um, I can, I can, you know, pull a vehicle up to any beach and just camp out for a week, two, three weeks uh, at a time, have a campfire and, you know, surf right there. And, and nobody says word one about it. I, I enjoy that. Um, it's difficult to find those places more and more in the U.S. Um, because people, they become, uh, it becomes abused, right? The trash and everything else. And you got to create rules and, um, and restrictions about how you can do this. Um, you know, I can take my dog to the beach and just let him run around and, and there's nobody telling me that I can't do that. And, um, that's just, I just feel, I, I feel that there. Um, it's, uh, it's just a beautiful place to live. And then you got Burkhart up in the Pacific Northwest to doing DMT or whatever those people do up there. <laughs> <laughs> He's holding out, man. Last time I went and visited at Burkhart, he he didn't share any of that DMT with me. <laughs> I'm just joking about the DMT. I don't, uh, but I I don't know what people do up there. That place weirds me out. I've never been there. <laughs> yeah, it's I, that was my first experience in, in Bend um, when we did the. Uh, uh, we did the showing of Big Mountain Heroes there, and what a turnout, man! That was so cool. the the old uh, The old theater there in Bend that uh, we had that at, and and you know, it was just filled out. And we had so many people show up and ask questions and engage. They were interested. They loved that film, and 
um, Bend, you know, it's, it's a cool town. It's got its own pulse. Um, you know, I, I can see why he's, uh, uh, why he's settled there. And, uh, it's, I would, I would love eventually to have a place in, you know, in the Pacific Northwest and, um, you know, just have the, my, my Baja place be kind of a, you know, a getaway spot. But, uh, it's 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 beautiful country, man. You, you cannot deny Washington and Oregon are, are, are they're just beautiful, beautiful states. Very cool, man. Well, we're looking forward to the Verses and Curses tour. As you you know, you guys listening have heard, I'll be at the New York City Date along with Jack and Jim West. So to give everybody the details on that, um, May twenty eighth, New York City. May thirtieth, Haverhill, Massachusetts. Uh, June 2nd, Washington, D.C., June 4th, Atlanta, June 6th, Cooper City, Florida. And then if you want to see the actual venues themselves, uh, the website is versesandcursestour.com. On Instagram, it's versus underscore the letter N underscore curses. Uh, Leo is on Instagram and really active on there at Leo underscore Jenkins. And then on Twitter at Leo underscore Jenkins underscore. Um, so yeah, looking really forward to it, man. Um, and so you said that Marty Scovland will be at the Massachusetts state, uh, who this audience knows any other like surprise, uh, guests that this audience would be excited about. Um, I'm trying to think, uh, that's, that's, I think the, yeah, I mean, those are, yeah, Marty's going to be out, uh, in, in Haverhill, uh, I'm, I'm, I've heard he's actually going to read a poem that he wrote. I'm really excited about that. Um, I'm hoping that he'll share two or three pieces of his writing. He's actually in Afghanistan right now on assignment. Um, so, uh, he's, he's on his way back. I think he's going to be in the States for like four days. And then he's, I think going to Normandy, uh, to cover something there. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's this thing that goes on on June 6th, um, that, uh, that's kind of a big deal. And, uh, so, yeah, he's. I think he's coming back to the states for three or four days to be at that event, and um, and uh, yeah, and there's every. I think every one of these stops, there's going to be a potential uh, to you know not just to hear the three of us, you know myself, Dave, and and Justin, but um, but to hear the voices of a lot of um, maybe uh, red and writers who haven't come up yet, you know, um, and, and I think we're going to see, and, and from what I've been, people have been sharing things, Hey, would it be okay if I can share this poem at, in DC and, and send it to me? It's like, wow, man, that's, that's awesome. it's, awesome. It, it's rattling. And, and so it's, you know, where these, maybe some of these names aren't names we know yet. I think yeah. that this is, might be the very first opportunity, the springboard for some of these people who you're going to see a year or two years from now releasing books who are fantastic writers, they just haven't been given the opportunity yet, or they haven't been given the guidance or the mentorship yet. And that's really what we're attempting to achieve here is to say, look, the little bit of knowledge that I do have in this realm, let me use that to help you come up and to, to utilize your talents and to, you know, to show that off and to tell your stories, because there are so many phenomenal stories that come out of combat, the camaraderie, you know, the brotherhood, the suffering, the sorrow, the, the, the absolute <laughs> raunchy, beautiful humor. Um, all of that is, uh, you know, it's, we're, we're hoping to pull all those people, you know, out of the woodwork and get them writing more and sharing those experiences because our society as a whole needs them. So, um, we, that's really what we're, we're, we're trying to emphasize is to get people who, who aren't, 
you know, don't have 100,000 followers necessarily who don't have a voice yet to give them that opportunity to create that voice and to, to amplify it uh, for them. It's awesome. I'm glad you guys are putting this on. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, it could go any which way. I think no, nothing like this has really happened before, to my knowledge. Um, so there's not really a template for it. Uh, we're definitely shooting from the hip over and over and over again. We're making little mistakes and adjusting fire, and we'll see. You know, um, I, I the only thing that I know definitively, absolutely 100%, is that RV is going to smell like a dead fucking camel after about three hours with all of us living in it. It's that RV, it's going to be. It, there's a, so there's a tattoo artist who's also coming along. Uh, who's going to be living in the RV with us, tattooing us along the way, um, just because, why not? If you're going to do a punk rock poetry tour, let's let's get some ink slung on the road on the way. So it, it's going to be a ruckus. It's just, it, the whole thing is just going to be, a, it's going to be a ruckus. Yeah, I think you're right that there's like a whole generation of veteran writers that haven't really come to the forefront quite yet. Um, and maybe part of it is because the, the war has not ended and it's still going on, or I, I really don't know. I, I think we've gotten a lot of books um, that are kind of like the ghost-written memoirs and things like that, but we, we haven't gotten like the, the Tim O'Brien effect. Like we haven't really had those voices, or, or we haven't, I should say, we haven't had many of them um, coming to the forefront quite yet. To me, these are the best stories. You know, um, you know, from from that the calamity of combat can can come some of the best, mm-hmm. um, you know, the best prose, the best poetry. Um, and you look historically at some of you know the most revered writers in in our history. Um, you know, whether they emphasize it in their writing or not, uh, they you know they came from that background. Hemingway, you know, like yeah. the, these you know there's 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 talent there, and I think it's I don't think it's quite as prevalent as it's made out to be, but there is that aversion or, or suppression in the veteran community to say, don't, you're not supposed to share your story. We're supposed to be quiet and all these things. But the thing is, these, these stories are being told by other people, right. Who, who didn't actually live them, you know, in, in television shows and movies. And, and they're just, they're doing like kind of a theatrical version of what they some, think some, Iraq uh, was like. Some officer and, is going to write about the ops you were on and take credit for them. Exactly. And he wasn't right? even there, you know, you know, or a Hollywood uh, producer director is just going to, you know, he'll make a film uh, about, uh, you know, combat situations or 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 operations that, you know, he wasn't ever a part of. Uh, and, you know, I think that the people who should be writing these stories about, you know, 17 years of war should be the people who lived it. It should yeah. be coming from their from their pen, from their mouth. Um, and, you know, I just want to encourage that. And if we can get you know, in this whole thing at the end of it, it, all said and done, if we get one or two people that end up writing these beautiful stories that ends up being shared, th- you know, throughout society, then then we've we've done right by by our peers. Uh, and to, again, to try to, to take away that stigma of like, you're not supposed to talk about it, don't talk about that. Fuck that. Fuck that, man. Um, fuck that. Tell your story, you know, and tell it with pride that it's, it's who you are. Do not be ashamed of having done the things that you've done. It's there's, there's, there's life is too short to throw that shit on your back and have to carry that, you know, for years and years and years and years, get that shit out, tell your story, do not be ashamed of it. Um, embrace it, have it, you know, tell it with pride. Um, you know, it's, it, we want people to come out and, and, and feel that. Well said, man. Well, looking forward to it. And thanks for coming on with us. Right. Always, man. Always. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I'll Look, see you in a few days. you guys and having a pint. Yeah. yeah. I'll see you on Monday and I'll, I'll probably get some audio while I'm there too and maybe throw that on the next show.
Very cool. Very cool. Thanks, Leo. All yeah, right. Take care, later. man. Later. So looking forward to seeing any of you who can make it on Monday. I mean, if you don't have any Memorial Day plans, you have no excuse. Come out, hang with us. Uh, you know, I think everybody who's like a part of this podcast are very approachable guys. I, I should have addressed this, by the way, at the beginning of the show. Um, the response to the Dan Gordon interview, like already, is really, uh, really big. Like I'm seeing comments between like the Instagram and the Twitter and the emails and even on the website. And the one thing that that I, I was just going to mention, though, is I saw like some Facebook comments of like, oh, you know, you can't expect a guy who's like a former IDF captain to give you an objective look at what's going on in Israel right now. Now, in the title, like, yes, I did write Dan Gordon says what's going or the truth of like what's going on in the ground. But even on the on the interview itself, I did address like, yes, this is one side of of an ongoing issue. However, I think Dan makes a great argument. I think that he went very into detail. He couldn't really have asked for more. Um, but by no means am I saying that there's not another side to this conflict. Yeah, of course so, there is. I mean, what, are we supposed to not talk to Israelis about what's going yeah. on in Israel? Like, that doesn't make fucking sense. Exactly. Yeah, so I just, you know, I, I think, the, you know what it is? I think when I speak on the podcast, the people hearing this already feel the way that I do. It's probably the people who just see the headline and want to comment right away before they hear, hear the actual episode. But if you didn't hear that episode, I think there was plenty that actually, I'll, I'll even say for me, a lot of what he said changed my mind. Um, you know, although like I grew up Jewish, have been to Israel, I'm not someone who sees this as like purely one-sided conflict. And when I saw what was going on, I was frankly disgusted by some of it. And then when I listened to Dan go into detail, I was like, all right, this makes a little bit more sense and kind of pieces together the puzzle of like why things happened the way that they did, why the numbers were the way that they were. And, and I, um, well, I saw like left wing outlets were saying that the Israelis have already killed 3000 people. And I'm like, dude, really? Like, yeah. It's just made up shit. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I put up a great clip on the Instagram, I think, of him saying the amount wounded, the amount killed. And where he says, like, I thought it was interesting, especially where he said, like, because it's Israel and we know the identity of all the Palestinian people there, we were able to point out that the guys that we killed, like, this is his name, this is his address, this is this person's phone number. Yes, they are affiliated with Hamas. Like, I thought that was really interesting. I, I, well, it's interesting that he said there's a spreadsheet with every shot fired. Yeah. Now, my, I mean, it would be interesting if the Israeli government was willing to share that information. Yeah. I mean, why don't, why don't they, you know, be uh, tr more transparent about it? I mean, I know there's a, there's a such thing as military secrecy, of course, right? You know, um, and I think Dan also, he kind of beat around the bush. He didn't want to detail troop numbers, and, and I understand that. Um, but, I mean, if Israel has documented all that stuff, I, I wish they would release more of that information so we can kind of analyze it. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, the unfortunate thing, and this goes both ways, I think, is that there's a certain segment of the population where no matter what Israel does, yeah, yeah. Israel is responsible for all the evils of the world, which is what he kind of went into. And I think there's a segment of the population that the Muslim world is responsible for every single thing that goes wrong in the world. And I don't think it's that clear on either end. Yeah, that's why I, I very rarely comment on this subject, because people pull into one or two extremes. Yeah. And I mean, not and when I say people... I don't mean Israelis or Palestinians. Um, I mean people in America. Yeah, and Dan is obviously on, you know, 100% on the Israel side. However, he didn't just come on here 
and spout, you know, his opinion on things. He went into very, uh, he went very in depth in detail. So if you don't watch new it, I think you should. I really enjoyed um, doing that interview a lot. It was probably one of my favorites. Uh, anytime he's on, I just I, yeah. I really love hearing from him, especially because I, I my favorite people on the podcast I think are veterans who have gone on to do just really other interesting things on yeah. a mass scale, and he's one of those guys. Uh, you know, beyond just being a veteran, has written not just movies, but like movies that became critically acclaimed with actors like Wesley Snipes and Kevin Costner and. Denzel Washington, and I think that's just so cool to see. Definitely, he's, he's lived an interesting life. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so next episode, I believe we have on the author of that book in front of you, Daniel Ford. Right? Oh, good. Um, yeah, Daniel Ford, who I, I think uh, got in touch with us because of the David Rarden mm-hmm. interview. Uh, no, I think because of the Jim Morris interview. Yes, the Jim Morris interview. Because Jim, Jim knew this guy. This, uh, and I, he referenced the book during the interview is what it was. Oh, look at this. I'm looking at the uh, acknowledgments, and there's another name in this book that I know, and I, I've actually spoken to this person. He's a longtime agency employee, actually. He's retired hmm. now. I did not expect to see that. He's a very, he's a very sharp guy. Um, yeah, so this will be an interesting one uh, with Daniel. And this is another one of those guys who you don't really hear interviews from, older generation, um, the book, I believe, was put out completely independently. So a lot of these books don't get the exposure of, of other books that we have and on the show by guys like you know, everybody knows about the Rob O'Neill's and all these stories. But someone like him, um, you know, people don't don't hear these. And these, these are the unsung, unsung heroes of the war is the interpreters. Yeah. And the guys who assumed so much risk and did so much crazy stuff and supported us. Um, this, you know, th- it sounds like this uh, guy in Vietnam, he was a Montagnard. Um, but I, I mean, I feel the same way about the uh, the Iraqis and Yazidis and Kurds who were our interpreters in Iraq. They did so much for us. It's it, it's impossible to calculate. Cool. All right. Well, spread the word. And I mean, that's how we do this. It's all really organic outreach. And if you know people who, who want to check out this podcast, yeah, keep letting them know, because I think we've been bringing on some really versatile guests and go out to the verses and curses tour if you're on the east coast you've been listening to soft rep radio new episodes up every wednesday and friday for all of the great content from our veteran journalists Join us and become a Team Room member today at softrep.com. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at softreprepradio. And be sure to also check out the Power of Thought podcast, hosted by Hurricane Group CEO and Navy SEAL sniper instructor, Brandon Webb.